even our very breath is praise to him we breathe by his grace our, our very life is just testimony of his goodness and his greatness well let's open our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 1 Corinthians 10, and um, if you don't have a Bible and would like to use one of ours, there's a little black Bible in front of you there under the chair somewhere around you, and you'll find this on page 957 of the church Bible. We're going to read verses 14 through 22. I think what it says on the bulletin is verses 16 and 17. That'll be the focal verses of the sermon. We're actually going to read verses 14 to 22, but we partake of the Lord's Supper on the first Sunday of every month, but but about once a year, um, I like to preach on the topic of the Lord's Supper such that the message itself leads us to the table. And so that's sort of, there's one question for us as we come to the table. What happens here? What, what happens here? I mean, we will partake of these elements shortly, but what what significance do they have? What value? We know we do it because Jesus said to do it, and so we're obedient to him. But why did he tell us to do it? What is it that happens when we take the Lord's Supper together? And I want to offer just a partial answer to that question in a brief message this morning. The one point that I want to really bring home is that at the Lord's Supper, we don't just remember Jesus, we encounter him. At the Lord's Supper, we don't just remember Jesus, we encounter him. So I've titled the message, Table Fellowship with Jesus. And so let's look at the text together in 1 Corinthians 10. And if you're able, I'll ask you to stand, as it is our custom to do, out of both a, a reverence for and attentiveness to the Word of God. 1 Corinthians 10, we'll begin reading in verse 14 through 22. I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. Listen to the word of God. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No, I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to become participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Let's pray together. Oh Lord, we thank you for the gift that is at the table and the gift that you've given us in your word. It's our belief that it is living and it is active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Lord, that it is able uh, to pierce to the very center of our being. Lord, we ask that you would this morning penetrate us in that way with the truth of your word. That you'd give life to us 
that it would be truth for us, for each one of us individually. You know, all the needs brought into this room today, you know, all the different thoughts and assumptions we bring with us. Lord, would you speak to those and minister to those as only you possibly could by your spirit. And so we ask that you would speak, O Lord, your word by your spirit through your servant and to your people for your glory and for our good always. Would you move me out of the way and just use my voice as an instrument to speak to us in Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. Well, uh, most of us have had the experience of um, attending a family gathering and spending some time uh, with other members of our family reminiscing about a loved one who's passed on. In fact, we may even, we, we may even intentionally begin that conversation uh, for the sake of remembering one who's, who's not with us on that particular occasion. And we might say things like, you know, it's not the same without mom. I wish she were here. Or, you know, hey, now's right about the time where Uncle Fred would be getting a little bit loose with his tongue and telling his jokes. I wish Uncle Fred could be with us. But it almost goes without saying that being present with someone you love is better than just remembering them. Right? I mean, the, the reason we say almost universally without even thinking about it, I wish she were here, is because to be with her is better than just to remember her. There's an exchange of life that happens when you're present with somebody. And in the best cases, it's, it's hard to even describe. You may, you may know somebody, either in your past or your present, you have that kind of relationship with, and you say, I, I don't know what it is about him, but I just love being around that guy. And it's kind of hard to articulate, but that maybe that person brings joy or peace or other qualities you can't fully put into words. But presence is fuller and better in some way than just a remembrance. Well, in a, in a similar way, an analogous way, I suppose, the Lord's Supper, Holy Communion, is a fuller experience, more meaningful, more enriching, and more beneficial to us if we know that we are meeting Jesus in it. And why is this even important to talk about? Because you may be thinking, like, this is old news, Stacy. We, we went over this in Sunday school a long time. Once upon a time, long, long ago, in a Sunday school class right down the hall, we talked about this, and why are you talking about it again? There's been a common view um, among evangelicals, in, in America in particular, that the bread and the cup are, are merely symbols, and that observance of the Lord's Supper is simply a memorial to Christ's sacrifice. So it can be uh, meaningful and moving, but sort of meaningful and moving in the way that it might be meaningful and moving to visit the Vietnam Memorial in Washington, D.C. There's a certain uh, weightiness to it. There's an um, uh, emotion stirred up about it, a meaningful, um, certainly, but, but merely memorial. In fact, I'd mentioned 
uh, what, what I found really interesting to read just about four weeks ago, the Pew Research Center uh, published results of a survey they had done among Catholics. You may know that um, there's a variety of views about what happens in communion. The Catholic teaching, Roman Catholic teaching, has been that the body, or sort of the bread and the wine, are changed into actual flesh and blood. It's called transubstantiation. There's a miracle that happens when the elements are blessed and that it, even though it still looks and tastes like bread and wine, it actually, the substance of it has changed into flesh and blood. Now, all Protestants reject that. It's not found in scripture. Uh, and so don't believe that, okay? If you come out of um, that teaching, haven't grown up. But that's the teaching of the Catholic Church. And what, what, what this Pew Research study showed is that 69% of those who self-identify as Catholic believe that the bread and the wine are only symbols of the body and blood, not the actual body and blood. Now, my point is not to persuade you at all to be sympathetic toward uh, the, that view of transubstantiation is to say there is a very pervasive view a very pervasive mindset to say it's merely symbolic. And Jesus did say, do this in remembrance of me. In fact, that'll be part of the words of institution when we, when we uh, observe it, but we don't do it merely in remembrance. As I said before, in the Lord's Supper, we don't just remember Jesus, we encounter him in a spiritual way. He is truly present when we partake of the bread and the cup. And we get that idea largely from this passage that we're looking at this morning. And so let's uh, focus our attention on it a minute and unpack, well, it might be a few minutes. It'd be more than a minute, but it won't be real long. I mean, we won't tarry long here. But you may have noticed as we were reading together, Paul is teaching about avoiding idolatry, not about, primarily about communion. The, pers- the purpose of the passage is not really to, to, to teach something about the Lord's Supper. It assumes an understanding of something about the Lord's Supper. He's actually teaching about avoiding idolatry. If you look at verse 14, you saw that. It opens up that way. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. And then down in verses 19 and 20, having made a couple of... Uh, Comparisons, He says, what do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No, I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participant, participants with demons. Paul, the, the argument then that Paul's making, the persuasion he's trying to make is um, flee idolatry. I do not want you to be participants with demons. That's the point he's bringing across. His concern is that by eating food that are part of these pagan feasts and and, and being involved in those uh, feasts, they're actually having fellowship with demons. Now, you may remember earlier in 1 Corinthians, he's addressed the subject of the meat itself that has been sacrificed to idols and then maybe sold in the marketplace. He said that idols are nothing and the meat is nothing. There's nothing inherently defiled about the meat. Eat it if you feel at liberty to eat it. Don't eat it if you feel like your conscience... Uh, compels you not to eat it. Do, do whatever you do as unto the Lord, he kind of says. So, so um, he's, he's addressed that point, but here he's talking about eating as part of these pagan feasts. They're actually having fellowship with demons. 
And to make that point, he actually draws a comparison between the Lord's Supper, uh, Jewish sacrificial uh, practices, sacrificial meats, and then food sacrificed to idols. So again, look with me at verse 16 to follow the train of thought. Because, because here's, here's the point. I can sit here and declare every month that we do communion that there is something greater and higher happening than simply remembering the sacrifice of Jesus. And some people just won't believe it. <laughs> You'll humor me and listen, but not necessarily believe it. Now let's see what it says here in the scriptures. Verse 16 says, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? Verse 18 he says, consider the people of Israel or Israel according to the flesh, it says in the King James and New King, New King James Version. Are, the, are not those who eat sacrifices participants in the altar? They're not just eating the meat, they're participating in all that the altar represents. And then in verse 20, what the pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. Now, do you see the comparison that's being drawn? That, that, that there's a similarity between the Lord's Supper, the Jewish sacrifice, and pagan meats that are sacrificed to idols. And the common thread is that in each one of them, there's a participation in something higher than the eating itself. It's something that's real, not just symbolic. The word in verse 16 um, here that's translated participation in the ESV and the NIV, and your translation may be shared in our community, the Greek word is koinonia. Some of you Bible students recognize that word koinonia is often translated fellowship. The fellowship we read about among uh, believers in the early church was a koinonia fellowship. And, and, and the word has to do with things that are common to a set of people. In fellowship, you share things in common. In fact, that was another description of the early church, right? That they shared all their goods in common. The, the, the Greek word, in fact, the, the Greek New Testament is written in uh, what was called Koine Greek, common Greek. It's just the language of common people, koine. This is the same root word. There's a commonness, something communal to it. Now, whatever precisely that may mean here about the Lord's Supper, it cannot mean merely a symbol or merely a memorial. In some sense, we are brought into fellowship with Jesus at the table. That the, that the bread and the wine or the juice, the fruit of the vine, in a spiritual sense, connect us with the real body and blood of Christ, Jesus himself. And on the whole, it's a mystery. It can't really be comprehended by the mind. You might wonder why I'm laboring so hard to get it into your mind then. Uh, if it can't really be summarized into words, boy, Stacy, you sure are using a lot of words here. It's something that does have to be experienced in the way of receiving life and resource from Jesus. But the expectation we bring to it 
will determine in large part what we experience. If we come simply in remembrance of him, which we're told to do merely in remembrance of him, then likely that's as far as that will go for us. If we come expecting we're going to have an encounter with him in some spiritual sense, then we might experience something far greater. And, and access all that has been made available to us through faith in him. Let, let, me, let me use this illustration. Um, suppose you're a citizen of this country, but appointed to service in a foreign land somewhere, okay? A servant abroad. A citizen here, but a servant abroad. And you could go into an embassy and walk into that small little compound, that one little building. And in a limited but a very real sense, you re-enter your homeland, right? That is U.S. territory there, U.S. soil you're stepping on. And as you do, you're, you're, you're reconnected with all the authority that sent you abroad for service and you, and you are connected with, in touch with the resources that equip you to do what it is you've been sent there to do. Well, we are beloved citizens of another kingdom. This is not our home. We're citizens of a heavenly kingdom and we have been uh, appointed a task here in this foreign land. And we are always by faith united with Jesus, again, in another mysterious sense. But when we come to the Lord's table, it puts us in touch with him. It puts us in touch with the authority that that empowers us, that sends us to do what we do, that the, the resources that equip us for that. We're actually in touch with Jesus. And so the, the real question is then, does that make any difference to you? I mean, if you knew Jesus was gonna be here today, how would you approach him? If you knew Jesus was, if, if somebody said, hey, whatever your plans are, let's, let's change them uh, and go meet Jesus for lunch. I mean, would that, you know, would that change your plans or would you say, uh, I don't, where's he going? I don't know, because I mean, <laughs> you know, we're going to the all-you-can-eat buffet. I mean, what's he, gonna, what's he even gonna talk about? Because, you know, it's probably gonna be really crowded and it's not like I'm really gonna get to see him. If you knew Jesus was gonna be here today, how would you approach him? Think about the crowds of people that flocked to him when he was on this earth and even the individuals who, who, who heard he was coming or heard he was present and, and, and knew of his ability to meet some great need that they have and they come to him with hope and anticipation that he's going to meet it. Think about the people who just, who heard Jesus was coming and did something about it. Like the woman with the issue of blood who pressed in on the crowd and touched the hem of his garment and power flowed out of him to her and changed her life. Like blind Bartimaeus who heard that Jesus was passing by and cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He wasn't polite. 
or restrained about it because he knew Jesus was near and he could do something for him. Or the Gentiles who came to Philip because they couldn't even get all the way to Jesus but said, sir, we wish to see Jesus. The leper who came and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. The leper who knew he's not supposed to be getting up close to anybody. But he knew Jesus wasn't just anybody. Or the men who brought their paralytic friend and lowered him down through the roof to Jesus and Jesus healed him and forgave him of his sins. Now those are some of the pictures of people who knew Jesus was coming and they came to him with some expectation of what he could do and what he might do for them. What expectation are you going to bring to the Lord's table knowing Jesus is going to be present in it? Not in a presumptuous or demanding way, but simply as one who comes in faith to receive what he has secured already through his death and resurrection. So maybe... Maybe for some today, as you come to the table today, you come a little differently. With awareness of a, a particular need and, and of uh, an expectation that he's going to meet that need. Maybe there is for some a persistent sin that's ensnared you, that you need to be forgiven of, that you need to be delivered from, the shackles of. Because you, you don't want to be ensnared by it. It just keeps dragging you down. And you need to say, Jesus, break this thing off of me. Maybe there's a storm in a figurative sense in your life. That you need him just to calm and quiet. Maybe you need to rediscover the joy of his salvation. Or maybe you just need to sit at his feet like Mary did and just be with him. But even that alone is a different experience if you really expect he's going to be here in order for you to sit at his feet. But whatever it is, whatever that is that you might bring, bring it. Every time we come to communion, every time we come, bring it with an expectation that Jesus is present in it. That it never becomes rote or ritualistic or stale or, or, or just procedural, but that every time it is full of life and power and possibility because he is in it. Let's pray. God, you know that there is a great mystery in everything that I've just attempted to speak to. Lord, that it is beyond what we can really wrap our minds around. And yet, we just acknowledge that there is something real and powerful that happens here. That we who have trusted in Christ are already in Christ. We don't even understand really that. But we are in him and he is in us. We are united together. Father, I pray that you would call to mind 
right now for people. Needs, burdens, challenges they have that they need to bring to you. And that you would just awaken our understanding, Lord, of what transpires here. That we might today partake in a fuller way, in a more real way, in a more powerful way of the bread and the cup, knowing that in a mysterious way, we're really partaking of and participating in the body and the blood of Jesus. Lord, we lay ourselves bare before you. Pray you administer to us here in the name of Jesus. Amen.